All right, kids, time for Super Church. And good morning to everybody else. JC, are you the clap starter? Way to go. And, and Aaron, too. Okay. Guys, uh, we're so blessed to have such a great God. I mean, so much greater than we probably give him credit for, you know. I mean, he's done so many good things and he wants so many good things that sometimes we just, we kind of miss him. We kind of miss him because we think we have great things in mind for ourselves. And sometimes we miss the good things about God. And, and we've been talking about the church the last few weeks, talking about being better together. And, and that's so true and it's so powerful and it's, it's so hard. I mean, really to talk about the church, to really call the church to become what God wants it to be is incredibly difficult because it really does call us out of just this kind of personal selfish agenda that we kind of have going in our lives, every single one of us. I mean, all of us, we kind of have this thing, whatever it is, whether it's work or family or, or play or hobbies or you name it, man, we, we kind of have our agenda going. Sometimes we even have personal agendas even in ministry where, man, we got our ministry and that's not even going to be allowed to be touched by the church either. It's not going to be people added to that ministry or us being involved with other people's ministry. It's, it's a crazy thing, but we really do make our lives kind of about us. And then wherever God can pry himself into or wherever we feel like we can fit God into, we might try to do that. But, but many times we miss the good stuff. I mean, we've talked about this Ephesians chapter four. You can turn there if you want to. We're going to go through it some more. But we've talked about the fact that, you know, God wants to do more in us and through us than we can ask or imagine that he might get the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. That's the last part of chapter three of Ephesians. And that's a, it's a powerful thought. He wants to get glory in the church. Uh, not just in individual believers. And then he talks about the fact that he, he therefore urges us to walk worthy of the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago and, and how if God is going to get glory in the church, then we have ways that we are to walk together as the church. And he talked about the fact that, you know, we should be walk with humility, walk with gentleness, that we should be patient and bearing with one another, that we should make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit that's in the bond of peace. And then we talked last week about all the reasons we should be unified. One body, uh, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's above all, in all, and through all. And we, we've just, this call that this particular passage brings us to is, is just this unified picture of people that have come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ from every kind of background and, and every kind of age and every kind of nationality, even every kind of language. They come together in Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, they walk together, they serve together, they love each other. I mean, they display a transformation that comes from the inside that unites us in ways that that the world cannot ignite or unite. They can't do it. I mean, the world fights against unity because there's nothing that unites them. The world fights against unity because they don't have a faith in something that enables them to overcome the trials of unity. I mean, unity within the body of Christ 
shouts and screams out that there's a God and a Savior in the church. And man, that's a powerful testimony and one that I believe right now is one of the primary battles, not just in our church, but in the church in the U.S. today. Uh, we have really, truly said, you know what, we're individuals, going to do our own thing, our own way, and nobody really gets to step into that. Well, I pray that as we look at this scripture some more today, that we get even a better picture of what God's calling us to and what's, what he's doing in his church. So let's start in verse 7 of chapter 4 of Ephesians and begin reading. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the church as a whole is incredibly precious and valuable to you. Sometimes, Lord God, that's hard for us to, to realize or see or accept. And Lord, it's even harder for us sometimes to, to figure out how to then walk together as your church, as your body. But Father, I know that you want to get glory in your church and in Christ Jesus. And so I pray, Father, that you would humble each one of us today, that you would help us, Lord God, to, to set aside selfishness or pride or fear and to come together in the name of Christ, serving together, worshiping together, praying together, that you might use us in ways that would give you all the glory and all the praise. We pray for our city and our state and our nation and our world because, Lord, the church, she's the light. She has the message of salvation. She really is the, the transformation agent in this world as we walk together. And I pray that many in our city would come to know Christ as we, as we display Christ in us and share the gospel with them. And I pray for those here this morning that have never trusted you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. And I just pray you'd speak in truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So this little passage that we read is kind of a mouthful. I mean, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to be said. I won't be able to even share a lot of things about it, but but hopefully we'll see kind of the gist of this thing. It's really a it's really kind of a transition, right? He's he's told us in these first six verses that he's calling us to walk worthy of our calling, and that means walking well together. It's just that simple, walking in unity. And so then he transfers on a little further to now talk about what Christ wants to do in his church. Like, you know, it's not just about saving us and putting us together as a church, but then Christ's showing us what he wants to do through the church as a whole, which ought to be a little bit shocking to many of us because, like I said, we, we kind of devalue the church sometimes. We, we, we don't really give it significance in our life. Uh, sometimes, like I said before, we treat the church like it's a marketplace where we come to get what we want from the church, but we don't really see the church as having a purpose in Christ and being used by God and us being used in that by God. And so to see that, that God takes us to a place where he shows us that he wants to do something in the church for his glory is a little bit shocking. But, but listen to what he says transitions from one God and Father of all, who, above, who is above all, through all, in all. And he says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so this is kind of transitioning. He, he wants us to know that we've all received a gift by God, grace by the gift of Jesus Christ. And, and if you want to look at it kind of the surface level, you can quickly understand that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have received the, the grace of salvation through the gift of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But there's even more to this. It's kind of the beginning of him talking about what we call grace gifts. In other words, grace gifts would be spiritual gifts. Grace gifts would be things that God gives to every single believer that when used together by the body of Christ, then make the body of Christ strong, faithful, insightful, useful to the kingdom, to the glory of God. But here, he's kind of transitioning to gifts that he's going to give to the church for specific reasons. And I think they're a little bit shocking. I think they're a little bit shocking to a lot of people because we don't really see God doing these kind of works in the church, but he is. So he transitions, he talks about the graces given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift so that he can so he can point out what God through Christ Jesus has done for us. Because in verse 8 he says, For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to his people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? And the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. And so we kind of come to this little parenthetic place, if you will, kind of this, this place where, where the Holy Spirit is teaching us something so that we can see what God's doing in his church. And, and he quotes Psalm 68, verse 18, which in the Old Testament says, you ascended to the heights, taking away captives, and you received gifts from the people. And so it's not quoted, Apostle Paul didn't quote it verbatim, from the Old Testament. And so you always kind of ask these questions. Why would he use it in a different way other than what it was originally quoted as? 
And, and one of the things that you would see, and I don't have time again to go through all of this, but Psalm 68 really is kind of a messianic psalm speaking about what Christ is going to do in the future, right? He's prophesying, if you will, about what Christ is going to do and how Christ is going to ascend to the heights and how he's going to take away captives and receive gifts from the people. And what he's really talking about is the fact that Christ, after his resurrection is going to ascend back into heaven. He's going to take away the captives. Captives are those who are captive to sin or under the sway of the devil. He's going to set them free. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the fact that people are going to give Christ gifts. They're going to give him worship. They're going to give him praise. He's worthy of that. But this is before Christ comes, right? So now the Holy Spirit is revealing to the apostle Paul and to us that there's more to what Christ wants to do. Now that's critical for us because many of us have stopped there. Many of us have said, hallelujah, right? Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah, right? We're gonna have eternity with God one of these days. Hallelujah, we have a ticket to heaven. But we kind of stop there not realizing and maybe not even wanting to know that God wants to do more than that in us and in the church. But, but the Apostle Paul, looking back at Christ's death and resurrection, explains the way he's mentioned this. When he ascended on high, he took the captives captives. He's talking about when Christ was raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven. He took those captive to sin, captive to himself and redeemed them. And it says, and he gave gifts to people. He gave gifts to people. Now, we're going to talk more about that, about the spiritual gifts later. But then he explains it this way, and it's, it's interesting to me. It's important to me. In verse 9, he says, what does it mean that he ascended except that he had descended to the lower parts of the earth? And there's, there's some discussion. I mean, if you read and you study and you hear what the scholars have to say, there's probably three basic ways that they interpret that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. One of the ways is to say he descended into hell and took captive the captives. Well, there's no place in scripture that says Jesus delivers people from hell. If you're in hell, you've been sent there by God and you stay. So it's not talking about Jesus descending into hell. Some people say that he descended just on earth, like they would describe being alive on this earth as the lower parts of the earth. And the truth is, is there'd be a specific Greek word for that, and he doesn't use that word here. So even though that's a, that's a decent possibility, I don't believe that's what he's talking about. I believe what he's saying is he descended, if you will, to the nether parts of the world, which is talking about death. Christ descended to death. Now that's super important for us. Because the Apostle Paul's talking about Christ's sacrifice for our sins, the death he took on our behalf, that we might be forgiven through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he's talking about the fact that Christ descended, and if he hadn't descended to death, he wouldn't have been able to ascend back into heaven. Then he says, and the one who descended also is the one who ascended far above all heavens to fill all things. And so he's really describing Christ. He's describing Christ's work and what he's done to save us. And he says, not only did he descend to the lower parts of the earth, but he ascended to the highest parts of far above all the heavens, right? So Christ ascended and assumed the role of Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Most High God, right? He is above all things and he fills all things. That means he's touched all things. Everything is under his control. He is the Lord God 
Almighty because of what he's done for us. If you went to Philippians chapter 2, you could read again that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you'd see the same principle there. Well, he does all that to describe what Christ has done so that he can go back and say, and he gave gifts to men. He did all that because then in verse 11, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, that, if you put that all together, is shocking. I mean, most of us would say hallelujah that Jesus went and descended even to death to take captives captive, to redeem the lost. And he ascended back to reign in heaven so that he could take care of all things and take care of us. We'd all say hallelujah, but we wouldn't expect to read that he then gave these gifts to the church so that the church would be equipped and the church would be ready and God would use the church. Is that a little shocking to anybody? Because, man, until we kind of begin to get this truth together in our minds, then we're never really going to move to a place where we want to be the church. We have missed the importance that Christ has put on the church. We have missed the importance that God has put on the church because we really don't want to see it because if we see it, then, yeah, there's, that's right, there's accountability to God. Not to me, not to Pastor Max, not to Pastor Aaron, to God as his body what he wants to accomplish through us, we have to see the importance. And, and it's interesting to me that the gifts that he gave to the church are apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Isn't that interesting? Every single one of those offices is, is an office used to speak God's word to his church. Every single one, which really ought to cause us to sit up and listen because the word, it's the word that God wants to use to impact his church. Now, that's a crazy thing for us today because, man, we have kind of, we have kind of huge variations on the view of the word within the church. We have some people that don't believe the word should be spoken clearly because they find the word to be offensive. And if you speak the word clearly and you offend somebody, then you surely can't be doing the work of God. And then we have some people that view themselves as teachers and they've made themselves teachers and they do teach, but they're, they're proud of who they are and, them, and their teaching, which I believe is also just as bad as the guy that doesn't want to hear the word of God. What Jesus, what, what the Bible is saying here is that God sends in apostles. Apostles were very simply, I believe, I don't believe there's apostles anymore. I believe they were the original apostles that saw Jesus Christ, spent time with him, uh, 
like the Apostle Paul here who saw him on the road to Damascus, and they were used to be a part of the foundation of the church. Prophets the same way. Before we were given the Bible, prophets would speak directly from God. They would hear what God had to say. They'd say what God had to say to others. And they were used by God to establish his word. But then when we received the Bible, I believe that God gave us the revelation that we need. And I don't believe there's true, pure prophets anymore, if you will. I can say a lot more about that, but I'm not going to. Uh, basically, what I will read to you, though, is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20 to help you see a little bit of these offices. It says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. So these offices that Christ gave of apostles and prophets were given to speak the word and to establish the foundation of the church with Christ as a cornerstone, right? Is that powerful for the church? Man, you better believe it. These guys had to establish the word, get it right, share it with others so they could share it with others, and it still stands today, God's word through these men, these apostles, and these prophets. Well, then it says he's given evangelists, right? Evangelists for us, most of us, we kind of think of some guy that basically what he does is share the gospel. And to some degree, that's what an evangelist is. Uh, I used to run into some guys that would come up from the South and they would say they were full-time evangelists and they were kind of slick dressed and slick speaking, some of them. And uh, they used to scare me a little bit, if you want to know the truth. They don't come out to Wyoming very often, probably too cold, but, uh, <laughs> which is okay with me. Um, some of them, I've probably actually met a couple of true evangelists that God uses to reach people. Their purpose is to share the gospel and see people come to know Jesus Christ kind of at a higher level than the average person. The worst preacher I've ever heard preach in my life, I believe, was a true evangelist. Uh, he came to our church in Illinois because my, the, or the president of my Bible college asked me if I could have him come one Sunday morning. I thought, well, my president, you know, he should know if this guy's good or bad. An absolutely terrible preacher. It was terrible. I had no idea what he said. And the truth is, is probably thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ through this very simple, bad preacher. I'd call him an evangelist. I'd also call some missionaries evangelists, church planners evangelists, um, it's a gift that God uses to establish his church and to bring people in. But then there's the gift of pastors and teachers. And there's a debate over, is this the pastor and teacher as one? Or is this a pastor and then teachers? I happen to believe they're two different offices. Pastor is more the shepherd. Literally pastor, bishop, elder, overseer, all the same office. But the pastor is the shepherd, the one that nurtures, the one that guides, the one that leads, the one that ministers to. They were given to speak truth, right? Pastors were given to speak truth. I can't even imagine a pastor that stands up not to speak truth. If I'm going to minister to you, I've got to speak truth to you. How can I do anything for you if I'm not going to give you the truth of God's word? Even sometimes when you may not want to hear it. I still am called to speak God's word if I'm going to nurture you and help you through this life. Well, teachers, without the authority of the leader or the pastor, are called to teach the truth as well, 
right? That's what they do. It's, it's a call to teach truth. But here's the important part. They are a gift from God. It's tough to say that because, I mean, I don't look much like a gift. I don't feel much like a gift. Sometimes I don't act much like a gift. But I promise you this, I'd never be standing here if it weren't for Christ Jesus in my life. I mean, there's just an absolute truth about what God did in my life to call me to be a pastor. And the same ought to be true of teachers. The same ought to be true of every pastor, of every elder. I mean, I've dealt with churches where they have elder leadership, but they don't call guys to be elders. Guys aren't set apart by God to be elders. They're just guys that they think are good guys and they make them elders. It's a shipwreck, man. You don't get to be used by God any old way you want to. You get to be used by God the way he wants you to be used. And God set it up so that we would have pastors and teachers and evangelists that impact the church with the word of God. But man, we, we come to a place today where it is probably more acceptable to leave the word of God out, hoping that we'll do ministry without it, than to bring the word of God into the ministry that we do, believing and knowing that God uses the word that way. I mean, I know there's some hits to take if you share the gospel. I know. Man, I've preached hundreds and thousands of sermons. I've made people angry where I had no idea I would make them angry. I've had people offended at me. I've people leave the church because I speak the truth sometimes. I was at a, I was at a briefing the other day with our police officers, and, and by the grace of God, they've come to the place where they let me speak. They always say, what do you got for us today, chap? Like, I got some scripture, boys. Mind if I read it? They use this, it's kind of sweet now. They usually go, send it, chap. All right. Well, the other day I was there and they were having a kind of a particularly just tough discussion. I don't know how to say it. Sometimes they're just unloading all their stuff and it'd be kind of foul. And so <laughs> when they came to me, I'm like, yep, I got some scripture. I said, this is going to be a little bit different than what you guys were just talking about. And I read the scripture, and when I read the scripture, the whole room just is quiet. And then this big hoss of a cop with his very kind canine dog laying beside him. So, well, that was awkward. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, next time I'll bring one just for you. Don't do that, he says. You know, later on I had one of the officers tell me, it was quiet because we were thinking about what you had to say. But the whole point is, is that you can take the risk and share the word of God in uncomfortable places and know that God will do his work through that word. Or you can believe the lie that says, if I don't speak the word, something good will happen for no reason. That's not how that works. Faith comes by hearing, the scripture says, and hearing through the word of Christ. But we've come to a day where, man, we don't see speaking the truth 
as a gift from God. We don't see the importance of speaking the truth. We don't see the importance of the word of God. What we see is our desire to be safe. And what we see is our desire to be like the world and our desire not to rock the boat. I'll never forget after two years of hell at our first church, and it was hard and miserable and heartbreaking. And man, we were, we were set free finally and uh, ready to go to our next church, grieving and all these things. But we had this young lady come over, Beth and I had her over. She'd been sweet to us while we were there and we had her had for supper before we were leaving. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She goes, when you came, I didn't know if I liked you. I'm like, well, thank you. I said, why? Because you rocked the boat. Well, I was so naive and young. I didn't even know I was rocking the boat. Until about two weeks in, when speaking the truth brought consequences like I could have never imagined would come. Listen, I understand that there's a cost to us being a church committed to the word of God. I understand that there's a cost to speaking the word of God, whether you're here preaching the gospel or whether you're in a classroom teaching the gospel or whether you're sharing the gospel at a police station or with your neighbor down the street. I understand there's a cost. But here's the truth. God wants to do something through his church that's only gonna happen from the gifts that he's given the church of those who speak the word of God in truth and we need to have it. And if it means taking a hit, if it means suffering, if it means being the freak in the room, like I feel many times, both here and at the police department, if you think I don't feel like a freak sometimes preaching here, you'd be wrong. It's calling people to truth and calling people to standards and calling people to move their lives is very uncomfortable. Amen? But if we don't do it like God has called us to, who will? Who will? And if we're not willing to take the hit for that, like our Savior gave his life to save us, who will? Man, he's giving these gifts, and it's crazy that the gifts are people that speak the word of God. And man, if you're not called by God, don't be teaching. And if you think the word of God is offensive to the place where you want to do ministry without it, Stop doing ministry. It's not ministry. There's no ministry apart from the truth of who Christ is and what Christ wants to do. And if you want to do ministry, start praying to have the courage and the boldness and the clarity to speak the word of God and then speak it. Guys, it's, it is not all about our comfort and our desires, and how easy it is to walk with Christ. It's about his glory. And then he goes on to say, these guys were given to equip the saints, comma, they were given for the work of the ministry, comma, and to build up the body of Christ. Man, we were given to speak the word, to equip the saints with the word. Understand, you're not gonna make a difference in this world without it. We were called and given by God for the work of the ministry. Our ministry is the word. 
Man, people want us to be babysitters today. People want us to be counselors today. People want us to go see them in the hospital today. We should do all those things as pastors. There sh- we should be. But our primary purpose as pastors is the word. Our ministry is the word. Man, in Acts chapter 6, when there was this dispute over serving the Gentile Hebrews or the, the Israelite Hebrews and the widows there, then they come to the apostles and the apostles say, raise up guys so they can take care of the tables because we have to minister the word and prayer. But we don't, we don't see that today, do we? That's not the role of the pastor. The role of the pastor is to put out every little fire we can send his way. Amen? not what it says here. Man, I love what it says to build up the body of Christ. You build up the body of Christ through the word. I have a dear friend. He's spoken here before. Johannes Slabert. Slabert. He pastors up in Cowley. He's from South Africa. He's awesome. He's a cowboy South African. And he's awesome. I remember as a young guy, he was planning on planning a church, and I had lunch with him, and he says to me, how, how do you do it? How do you grow a church? I just laughed. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is you preach the word. Preach the word. And then God does whatever he wants to do. And Johannes, he was like, that's incredible. That's how I feel. Why don't we just preach the word and let God do what he wants? I said, why don't we? So I text him every Sunday morning, I have for several years. And every now and then he writes me back and goes, preach the word. <laughs> Amen, Johannes, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to preach the word, right? God's going to do what he wants to do. Listen, the gift in the church is the word. It's Christ moving in the word. It's the Holy Spirit moving through the word. But you take the word out of the church and the church is nothing. And you take the word out of the ministry and the ministry is nothing. So he goes on to say... Equip the saints, do the work of the ministry, build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of God's Son, growing in a maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Walk worthy of your calling. And then he says, we're going to put this word to work until we all grow into maturity, until we all come to the knowledge of God's Son. How are we going to do that if we don't have the word? He wants us to grow he wants us to mature. He wants, to be, he wants us to be more like Christ. Man, I love, I love the thought of this. Man, to grow until the unity of the faith. That means until we are all together in what we believe and walking together in the direction God wants us to be, that's what the word's bringing together as a church. In the past, I've had people ask me, why are there different denominations? Most of the time, they're just seeking a reason to argue with me. Because quite honestly, I could care less about denominations, in case you weren't sure. I don't care about Baptist. I don't care about Presbyterian. I do not care. But I do care about this. You better believe I do. So when they ask me that, they really want to have an argument about me being a Baptist, and I'm like, I'm not, so whatever. So then, if they're really serious, they go, no, really, what happened? What happened? Well, my best answer from what I could understand is we got off on some tangent somewhere instead of staying true to the word of God, and we went that way, and they went that way. 
How else do you explain denominations? Somewhere we've departed from one another because we departed from the word somewhere, right? The unity of the faith says we're going to stay together in the word because of the word. That's how we have unity in the faith. And oh, by the way, I believe we should walk with people that have some different opinions about some things because that's what grace and mercy does, right? But we should never compromise the word. So then he says, to grow in the knowledge of God's son, how are you going to grow in the knowledge of God's son without the word? And this is growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. In other words, what is the measuring stick of maturity for a follower of Christ today? Jesus. He is the fullness. He is the moral perfection. He's the divine perfection. He's the human perfection. He's the standard. So man, the word ought to be calling us to grow, to be like Christ. Now that's so humbling to me. I don't know if it's humbling to you, but I'm not even close yet. But here's the thing, right? The more we teach the word, the more we read the word, the more we know the word, the more God works in our lives. I was in a police car the other day talking to one of the officers and they were asking me, you know, why would you do that? Why would you think that? I said, well, here's the deal, man. When I came to know Christ, something like this started happening in my head. And I tapped on the, on the council. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's called the Holy Spirit. He taps in my mind to say, stop saying that. Say this. Don't do that. Do this. I said, I have a change of heart that God keeps working on me so that I keep growing because Christ is alive in me. It's quite a powerful answer, by the way, to somebody that doesn't know Christ because that's a tough one. They don't understand. But that's why we are different, right? Why not point out the difference? We're to grow. So when Christ says to me, man, be gracious, be patient, be forgiving, be loving, be humble. This cop says to me toward the end of the ride, I put you in my report today because you did something unexpected, something above and beyond the call of duty. I said, take it out. And they go, why? You should get recognized for that. You'll get a coin. If you do something good for the police department, somebody gives you a coin that says, hey, good job, Joe. Like, I don't need a coin, and I didn't do it for that. And they go, we're leaving it in there. And, but this officer said, thanks for being humble. I'm like, you don't know the half of it. You don't know how sinful I am. You don't know how quickly I become proud. If I don't practice humility, I become a wreck. And God, my Savior, keeps tapping in my heart. Be humble. That's how we grow. And we grow because of the word of God speaks to us about who we are and who he is and what he wants us to look like. And when we fall short, he calls us to grow into him. By the way, we have to do it together. It works way better together. Then he goes, and this is truly amazing to me, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. 
but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who's the head Christ. When these gifts are given and they speak the truth of God's word, then instead of being toddlers who aren't stable in their walk with Christ, we grow into maturity and we're not tossed around by every wind and every wave of deceitfulness by cunning men who seek to deceive the truth, the believers. And if you think there aren't men out there that are purposely deceiving the church today, go to Facebook and just look up sermons and listen to the garbage that rejects the word of God for man's glory instead of calling us to Jesus Christ and his service for his glory. Man, there's so many people today, they've said, you know, the word's offensive, I'm gonna get away from the word. The word's costly, I'm not gonna gonna give the cost to keep the word at the forefront. I'm not gonna speak when I could speak. I'm not gonna stand when I could stand. Churches that say, if you preach the gospel anymore, we won't even have you, we'll fire you. But then, they go about and they get deceived. They get lied to, they get broken, they get devastated. They remain lost. Now, I want us to be a church that grows to maturity because God wants us to be a church that grows to maturity into Christ, who is the head, speaking the truth in love. And then finally, it says, from him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And there's a lot to that verse, but let's just say this. The whole body is fitted and knit together by Christ. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the church in 1 Corinthians 12 later on this series. We'll talk more about what it means for him to give us these gifts, to bring us together, that we might use these things to be healthy together as a body. But it all comes from Christ. It all comes from him putting us together. It all comes from him putting us so that we can grow together and grow according to his will. Guys, the church is precious to the Lord God Almighty. The church is powerful as Christ leads us together. The church is this beautiful creation that he calls his body with him as the head. He's the leader. He's the Lord. He's the wisdom. He's got the direction. But we carry it all out underneath him. And it all ought to be done for his glory. Then I know we're so afraid. Aren't we? Aren't we afraid? Aren't we afraid to open up to be a part of another person's life in the church? Aren't we afraid to get connected in the church? Aren't we afraid? Pastor, I've been hurt by people in the church before. Well, so have I. Well, man, pastor, not everybody's sincere in the church. Well, neither am I all the time. Are you? I mean, people let me down. People don't come through, whatever the excuse is. But that's the whole point of the church. Christ is in us. And because Christ is in us and because we love him and because we love one another, we overcome. When somebody hurts us, we forgive them. When somebody lets us down, man, we kind of come along and try to pick them back up. Man, when they they sin against us, we forgive them. It's this testimony of who Christ is. Instead of being afraid of being a part of the church, man, we should move in and move close and be involved and, and pray together and serve together and grow together. 
Oh, but we're, we're afraid, Pastor. Well, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Don't, don't lean on your own understanding. Do not do this thing without the power of God in you. Because when the power of God's in you to overcome those things, and he's in each one of us to overcome those things, man, the light of Christ begins to shine brighter and brighter and brighter through the church. And that's powerful. And here's the deal. To be part of the church, you've got to be saved. I mean, saved. I... Your talk about being saved is cheap. Salvation always results in a changed life, in a changed priority, in a changed worship, in a changed commitment. It always results in that. Anything less is not salvation. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're never going to be a part of the church. You can't be. You can't be. It comes through Christ. So if you've never trusted him, start there. But realize that as you start there, he's not asking you to be saved so you can live apart by yourself. No one succeeds by themselves. Let's pray.